Hi, I'm Holly. And I'm Danielle, and you're listening to the Spooky Hour. I think I forgot to do that like a whole bunch, so there's a very short one, because that's all I have in me. It works. Hi, Um, friends. Hi, friends. If you hear like a chair ruffling in the background, I'm not standing today because I'm really tired. (laughs) I'm on a wheelie chair. So you might hear the wheels move because I have, I can't sit still. So here we are. That's great. My apologies Thanks, ahead of thanks time. for the disclaimer. <laughs> Usually I'm standing because of the standing desk and today it was not high up. It was like, because Stuart is working from home now and I'm like, I'm just going to sit down because I'm tired. So Danielle, uh, we FaceTime when we do this and she came on FaceTime and was like chugging a drink and I'm like, is that water or is that alcohol? She's like, nope coffee so that's where we're at today (laughs) i told uh, Stu came downstairs after work because river was having a nap and he's still sleeping like it's crazy um don't jinx it i know and Stuart was like aren't you recording at like 4 30 and i was like yeah why and he's like because it's 4 30 and i'm like out cold (laughs) on the couch and i'm like fuck uh luckily for danielle i don't have a fucking life right now so (laughs) it's cool it's it's only an hour later (laughs) only it's I mean, fine it's we're, we're all good i'm in my christmas pjs i chugged coffee i'm literally done it now i have to pee but it's fine and i put on clothes for the first time all day you look like shania twain thank you i think you, you say that like... every time i wear this and it makes me feel so good yeah i do <laughs> it absolutely reminds me of shania twain i'm wearing leopard print just so everyone's understanding the reference mm-hmm. um but yeah i we don't have well at least i don't have much to say this week um I'm back um, to working from home, so I've had zero socialization. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm actually, like, really stoked that Stuart's at home. I thought it would be, like, a lot, like, having him home and then having to take care of River. But it's, like, nice that I can, like, go, pee, like, can't hit River over and be like, I just got to go pee. Yeah. And I'm then, so happy he's home for that. Yeah. I'm, like, cause, so basically Ontario is, like, shit in the bed with, um, uh, what is it? COVID? I, the name of it. I was like, what is it? I was going to help you, but I wanted to see how long it took. <laughs> Did you see me stare off in the space? I, I was saw like, the smoke coming out your ears. <laughs> I was like, I can't remember the name of it. Um, we have, our, our numbers are so high, so we went back into lockdown because the government is fucking stupid. And they're not, not <laughs> stupid in the sense that I guess shit needs to be locked down because everything is like spreading faster just stupid in the fact that their government's fucking stupid and hasn't handled this properly since day one we shouldn't be back here basically yeah this is preventable and we shouldn't be here um and then yeah so Stuart's at home and i'm like selfishly really stoked about it and kind of hope that it like lasts for the next year (laughs) i am not gonna lie i'm also a little bit stoked that i'm home i always i danielle like gave me a power chat about this the other day when we got sent home because i was like I hate that I'm excited, but, like, I'm fucking excited. Like, I just didn't want to, like, be around people yet. I was very much enjoying my Christmas break, and I was like, Mm -hmm. I wish I could just be a potato a little bit longer. So here I am being a potato a little bit longer. And Janelle was like, do you know what? It's been, like, three years of shit. If if being home from work makes you feel happy, just fucking, like, let yourself enjoy it. So you know what? That's a good point. There's very little joy going on right now. I'm going to take this one. (laughs) Like, there's, I think I said, I was like, there's obviously, like, the situation sucks for certain people, but you're not in that situation, so you shouldn't feel bad for being happy about it. Yeah, and I do sympathize. I I know a lot of people are laid off, and, like... Oh, definitely. It sucks. It's fucking awful, but I have one piece of joy in my life, and it's not wearing pants, so I'm going to hold on to it. Yeah. (laughs) If someone gets mad at you for being happy about that, then that's their fucking problem. That's, yeah. Just just let me not wear pants. Yeah. That's where we're at. We're not wearing pants. We haven't showered. We haven't slept. We haven't socialized. So welcome to the spooky hour where yeah. we're going to be very well put together. Also, I have a little rant about Instagram. I want to go on it because... Oh, what happened? Did I miss something? Do I know what Instagram? it is? You do. I'm going to mention it. I told her I'd mention it for her. Um, so Instagram's a fucking joke. So I one of my family members' account got hacked. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And because uh, she's she's her, and she clicked a link because she's <laughs> explains a lot about Jess. <laughs> and uh, so she clicked the link, and so her account got hacked, and she can't get it back. So we've been reporting it, and Instagrams like can't do anything about it. Sorry. Like I know people who have OnlyFans, Instagrams, and like 
they don't show anything. They just have, like, the OnlyFans link yeah. in their bio, and they get, like, instantly deleted. And I'm like, Instagram, my cousin's aunt, I'm not explaining why she's my <laughs> is account literally got hacked and somebody's like in her account and they're like sorry shit. can't do anything and they're like sorry just too bad but if but they like, even sense a hint of a titty yeah like down <laughs> yeah exactly so instagram get your fucking shit together That's i've also seen a lot of um like they've disabled the accounts of a lot of people for like silly things like mm-hmm. I, I can't think of an example i'm so tired but like a lot of like Let's just say, like, a body-positive influencer who posts a, a picture where, like, they're holding their boobs. They're like, this is porn. Gone. Whereas the message yeah. is not sexual in nature at all. Yeah, but you'll let people go around and, like, send spam emails and, yeah. like, get money from people. I'm getting real fine. sick of Instagram, to be honest. And I refuse to join TikTok, so I think I'm just going to, like, slowly leave social media altogether. Come to the dark side. Come probably. to the dark side. I'll stay on Pinterest. There's lots of recipes there. Yeah. <laughs> I love Pinterest. I just hate it. It's become like it's become this. Everybody's constantly selling something. Yeah, I'm sick of seeing people dance in TikToks about like serious issues. I have like a real bone to pick. So I I don't know if a couple people follow me on my personal, but I went through like a phase last year. I was posting like a whole bunch of like body positive content because I was like, you know what? I need to fucking work this out. So I'm going to do it with a bunch of strangers, and it was great. I had a great time doing it, and then all of a sudden, like these people that I followed started to post TikToks where they're like dancing and talking about like their eating disorder and stuff, and I'm like, this isn't it's like you know what, what i mean like it's... <laughs> people making now? it's just like you know they're doing like this cute little dance with their hands talking about like i didn't eat for three days straight and it's like that's i don't know it just left a sour taste in my mouth that's yeah. my rant of the day yeah it's just it, it's becoming this weird like we're constantly trying to sell we're constantly trying to like for some reason promote tiktok mm-hmm. <laughs> on that's instagram that's the one thing i hate about instagram is like you just see like snippets of people's lives and it's always usually like the happy part of yeah. people's lives so people are always striving to be like these people especially like influence influencers because you're seeing all of this positive positivity yeah. around like their stuff but it's like five seconds of their life you have no idea like they yeah through the same shit that you guys do and i think that's like a really big mental health issue is Oh, media. for sure. And that's the reason why. And fuck social media. <laughs> yeah, it. it's. I used to love it because I do love the, the like, sharing aspect and the connecting with people who are similar to you. Like, I've made some genuine friends on Instagram that I still talk to. Mm-hmm. And I love that aspect. But then it becomes, like, so commercial that it's just, like, eh. Yeah. Not for me. Eh. Unfortunately, See, we out- still need it, though, because we have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> You're more outgoing than I am. I'm not. Like, if some stranger came and messaged me, I was like, delete. delete. Yeah. Yeah, Just delete. Bye. Here's the thing, though. I don't really talk to anybody in real life. Uh, Welcome to the therapy hour. Um, Yeah. Eight minutes of therapy. Thanks, guys. We needed this. Yeah, we did. So, um, I guess right from therapy to murder, are we down? Do we have any other rants? Um fuck doug four. get Jess's account back and fuck doug four. <laughs> yeah that's it that's all we got um okay so straight into murder then um the the which is surprisingly the light topic of the day um so this is a really long and twisty case so bear with me this was very hard for me to write it took me like three days to write it um no, it was sent a good in... one and i'm really pumped for it thanks uh this was sent in by lee anna i hope i'm saying that right um so thank you for sending it in i actually watched a documentary about it a few years ago and somehow forgot about this case even though it's like insane uh so we're gonna talk about the, i mean uh, that i'm sorry us forgetting about something i feel like that explains our whole podcast forgetting things oh forgetting yeah things definitely yeah I, I already lost my spot okay so today i i don't think i started yet so i think we're okay um <laughs> today we're talking about the unbelievable death of brian wells on August 28, 2003, a man named Brian Wells walked into a bank in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 43-year-old pizza delivery man was wearing a guest t-shirt, walking with a cane, and had a strange bulge under the collar of his shirt. He approached the teller and handed her a note. The note read, quote, gather employees with access codes codes to vault and work fast to fill bag with $250,000. You only have 15 minutes. 
He then lifted his shirt and showed the teller a metal box around his neck. It was fastened around his neck with like a, it looked like a handcuff. Um, And it, uh, it was locked into place. It was a homemade bomb. Uh, The teller told Brian that there wasn't anyone on site who was able to get them into the vault, but that she could empty whatever money she had into the bag for him. Uh, She got, I think, just shy of $9,000, which I can imagine he got 250K and they're like, here's nine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this this will do right this Here is this is enough right yeah. um this is this i left this in because it creeped me out brian grabbed a lollipop from the counter on his way out and like casually sucked it on his way back to his car as if nothing had happened just like nonchalant like yeah nice. very just nonchalant um about 15 minutes later he was surrounded by state troopers in a parking lot up the road from the bank they tossed him to the ground and cuffed him and he tried to explain the situation he told the officers that a quote group of black men jumped him earlier in the day and placed the bomb around his neck at gunpoint they told him he had to rob a bank and hand them the money or the bomb would detonate um the officers called in a bomb squad and hid behind their cars while they waited the whole time brian was yelling it's gonna go off i'm not lying um the press got a uh, word of the commotion and the tv crew started showing up like on the scene and uh they were airing live footage of the whole altercation and it was 25 long minutes of brian sitting on his knees on the pavement in front of the state troopers suddenly the device started beeping uh it started slow and started uh speeding up faster and faster until the inevitable happened the device exploded brian wells was killed on live television at approximately 3:18 p.m. the bomb squad the bomb squad arrived on scene at 3:21 3 minutes later what were they doing like getting a coffee <laughs> they're stuck in the tim's drive-thru like, or like what's in america duncan duncan where do you guys get your coffee um the if you're into that the footage is readily available and in a netflix documentary and is graphic um, i was gonna say do you see his head go like poof um so it's not as explosive as i thought it was like okay. i was very like i'm picturing to watch like- it yeah yeah i thought there'd be like limbs flying and shit yeah. but it's um i would equate it to like a really big shotgun almost ooh, like it ooh. just yeah i should have graphic warning <laughs> yeah. i feel like my old is good enough <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's it's pretty brutal um the investigation into his bizarre death started with a search of the evidence at the scene. They found the cane in Brian's car and discovered it was actually like a gun hidden in like a like a casing almost. So the cane was sort of like a casing. Okay. Um, also found in the car were handwritten notes addressed to, quote, the bomb hostage. The notes instructed Brian to rob the bank of $250,000, then follow a set of instructions to find the combination codes and keys hidden throughout Erie. Uh, according to the letters, if Brian did as he was told, he would have everything he would need to get the bomb off of him. Uh, so it's like a really fucked up puzzle game pursuit type thing going on. It's like the, part of a movie of Saw. It sounds like a Criminal Minds episode almost. Um, I think I make a Criminal Minds joke later too. I'm really original. Um, so the bomb itself was also a fascinating clue. A description of the homemade bomb from Wired.com, because I'm not smart enough to rewrite this. Quote, the device consisted of two parts, a triple banded metal collar with four keyholes and a three digit combination lock. An iron box containing two six inch pipe bombs loaded with double base smokeless powder. Um, the hinged collar locked around Wells's neck like a giant handcuff. Investigators could tell that it had been built using professional tools. The device also contained two Sunbeam kitchen timers and one electronic countdown timer. It had wires running through it that connected to nothing. Uh, and these were decoys to throw off would-be disablers. And they had stickers with like deceptive warnings on it. Uh, so the contraption itself was also a puzzle. So there was like like wires that didn't plug into things or like were plugged into something but didn't actually do anything so if the bomb squad did actually show up on time they might not have cracked it anyways um investigations on the case started following the clues of the scavenger hunt hoping it would lead them to the killers so the first note instructed brian to head to mcdonald's parking lot to find a rock hidden in a flower bed 
uh, he did this task already and found a second note that was hidden under the rock. It directed him up Peach Street to a wooded area uh, where he was to find a container with orange tape, and the next clue would be in that container. Uh, Brian was killed before he completed his this step, so investigators started at that spot. They okay. found the container, but they were too late. There was nothing inside of it, and they just kind of assumed that the killers started retracing their steps to get rid of the clues and throw them off. Um, the next strange piece of evidence was the shirt that Brian was wearing that day. He was actually wearing two shirts. He had his own t-shirt on under the guest shirt that I mentioned earlier. The guest shirt did not belong to Brian. His friends and family confirmed this with police. Um, I guess he just like exclusively did not wear that, that brand. Um, (laughs) investigators took this as a taunt from the killers telling them to guess who they were. Uh, so basically we're like looking for Mm. the Joker here. (laughs) Hmm. I got, like, Joker Riddler vibes with that. That's kind of interesting. Um, so the case started attracting global attention, and the FBI stepped in to open their own investigation. The killer started uh, getting the nickname The Collar Bomber because we're really original. The Collar Bomber. <laughs> yeah. Oh and this is in, like, uh, what did I say? Like, 2003? It's not even the 70s? What yeah. is your excuse? Um, as the case dragged on over the next seven years, the FBI backtracked over Brian's day, uh, on August the 28th. So at 1.30 PM, Brian took his latest delivery, or sorry, his last delivery of his shift to a remote location on the outskirts of town. Investigators drove to that location and it turned out to be a TV tower site that was only reachable by a dirt road. I'm guessing that's like one of those like electric boxes in the middle of a field type of deal. I don't really know what a TV site is. Um. They found shoe prints that matched Brian's, but no clues as to who placed the pizza order. Uh, The next day, reporters arrived on the scene to snoop around. They noticed a tall, large man. uh, He was standing outside of a house in the area. So the backyard of this house backed into the TV tower, like, field thing. Um, so this man identified himself to the reporter as Bill Rothstein. He was a 59 year old handyman who had lived in the area his whole life. Uh, the reporter asked him about the commotion in his backyard and he said he didn't even know there was an investigation going on, uh, which is hard to believe because there was like multiple cop cars. The area was cordoned off with police tape. Yeah. Like what? There's an investigation. Like, does um, he don't have like doors and windows? Oh, he does. Yeah. Um, So the reporter asked if she could, like, go into his backyard to get a better look at the scene because the she couldn't get in the police tape um he agreed and the reporter stayed for about 15 minutes uh overall nothing really eventful happened until september 20th uh bill called 911 saying quote at 8645 peach street in the garage there is a frozen body it's in the freezer the address was that of his own house uh, police arrived and took Bill into custody for questioning, which Bill said he was thankful for because he had been, quote, in agony for weeks over this dark secret. Um, Wait, he just had a... Fro- what? He had a body in his freezer, just casually. Why? And, like, didn't know there was a police investigation in his backyard. Okay, so the why. We're getting to the why. Um, he told investigators he had considered killing himself over the guilt of this body in his freezer and that he even wrote a suicide note, which investigators took in as evidence. In the note, Bill wrote to, quote, those who cared for or about me, explaining that the body in the freezer was a man named Jim Roden. Bill wrote that he, quote, did not kill him nor participate in his death. Uh, the strangest thing about this note is that there was a line that read, quote, this has nothing to do with the Wells case, referring to the collar bomber. In Over- what, what? It has nothing to do with the Wells case. Uh-huh. Nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> so over the next two days, uh, uh, Bill spilled quite the confession to the police. He said that sometime in August, he'd re- received a phone call from his ex-girlfriend, Marjorie Deal Armstrong. Marjorie told Bill that she had shot her current boyfriend, James Roden, in the back with a shotgun after the pair had fought over money issues. She asked Bill for help with moving the body and cleaning up the crime scene, and for some reason, he said yes. Uh, So he kept the body in his freezer for five weeks and melted down the murder weapon, but couldn't go through with their plan to, quote, grind up the body. Uh, (laughs) That's twice in one episode. Um... (laughs) So he called 911 because he said he was afraid of what Marjorie would do if she found out that he didn't dispose of the body. Uh, Name Marjorie. 
Marge. I keep wanting to call her Marge. I might just keep calling her Marge. <laughs> um, so the next day, I'm going to do it. Fuck it. The next day, Marge was arrested for the murder of James Roden. Uh, in January 2005, she pled guilty but not criminally responsible due to mental illness and was sentenced to 7 mm. to 20 years in state prison. Uh, Bill died of lymphoma in 2004. So what does any of this have to do with the collar bomber? Well. They confused. <laughs> in April 2005, Marge was being interviewed by a state trooper for the homicide when she dropped a bombshell. She claimed that Bill's suicide note was a scam and that her boyfriend's death was tied to the collar bomber case. The trooper called in the FBI who arrived for further further questioning. Uh, Marjorie told them if they could arrange a transfer to a minimum security prison, she would tell them everything. So I'm going to give a quick background on Marge just real quick so you understand the type of person she is. So she was described as being above average intelligence in high school and had a quote encyclopedic knowledge of everything from literature to law. So she was one of those like rare, really smart, like knows everything. I'm yeah. picturing Sheldon um, from <laughs> big bang theory. Um, if Sheldon was a murderer. <laughs> if Sheldon was a murderer, is that Dexter then? Um, <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> Uh, so over the years, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and uh, that intelligence changed into manipulation, mood swings, paranoia, and narcissism. Uh, she became incredibly unwell, and in 1984, a wellness check was conducted on her and her home. Police walked into a hoarder house where they found 400 pounds of butter and 700 pounds <laughs> of cheese literally rotting away in the house. Wait, did she eat it or she just wanted it? To was have just it? sitting there. I wanted to get into this story, but like my, it's long enough as is. But basically, it it was one of those like I need to collect this or someone will die type of like compulsion things for her. Okay, um, so that's like a like, thousand pounds of be, dairy. As I said, too bad it couldn't be like a like pictures or something. It'd be fucking like dairy. Like, <laughs> we had a gag at a holly now. Um, <laughs> So she gained a rep reputation for herself in her later years. When she was 35, she was charged with the murder of her boyfriend, Robert Thomas. Uh, she claimed she shot him in self-defense six times and was acquitted of any charges. <laughs> six times. Hmm. Six times. Uh, she was found not criminally fit to stand trial in this case because of her dairy collection. Because uh, of her dairy collection. <laughs> and... <f> <laughs> Four years later, her first husband, Richard Armstrong, died of a brain hemorrhage. The death was ruled accidental, but the case was never really looked into. So Richard showed up at the hospital with a head injury and died. And everybody was just like, it was an accident. They don't know how he got the head injury. And um, I bet if they looked into it and be like, wow, she shot her other husband. Yeah. Like, whatever. Hmm. Weird. Um, Weird. So investigators believe that Marge's intelligence, instability, and questionable past made her an ideal candidate for the suspect in a twisted scavenger hunt. They also believe that her narcissism uh, would, like, help them crack this case because she was the type of person who would, like, say more than she means to because she loved to talk about herself so much. Yeah. And she's the type of person where if you question her, like, oh, I bet you wouldn't do this. She's like, well, yes, I would. Like, so she... Yeah. They were going to use this to her use this to their advantage um so during questioning marge claimed she had nothing to do with the murder but knew about the whole plot she claimed she supplied the kitchen timers for the bomb and was about a mile away from the bank during the robbery but you know had nothing to do with it nothing um she claimed that brian was actually not a victim but one of the people who were in on the bank heist plot she also outed Bill as the mastermind behold, behind the whole thing, uh, which was perfect because he was no longer alive to defend himself. I was uh, say. <laughs> he's, okay. he's gone. Um, in trying to throw Bill under the bus, Marge basically implicated herself to investigators by sharing her involvement in the crime. She literally was like, I had nothing to do with this, but I gave them my kitchen timers. Um, hmm. But they had a feeling they weren't getting the whole truth from her, so they started bringing in witnesses for questioning behind the scenes to get more of a background on her. Uh, one of the witnesses claimed Marge told him she killed her boyfriend, James, because he was going to rat them all out over the robbery. Uh, she also told this witness that she helped measure Brian's neck for the bomb. In late 2005, another witness came forward to say that a local crack dealer named Kenneth Barnes was also involved. Uh, so Kenneth Barnes was an old friend of Marge's who had spilled the beans on the robbery plan to his brother-in-law. Uh, the brother-in-law then turned him in while Kenneth was already in jail on drug charges. Holy shit. So he was facing like 
a heftier sentence now and he told police everything he knew in exchange for a reduced sentence uh kenneth confirmed that marge was in fact the mastermind behind the collar bombing he claimed that marge needed the money to pay him to kill her father so she could inherit his estate his estate there's literally so many crimes involved in this one case (laughs) so we're at like six felonies i think at this point maybe (laughs) um what the i'm (laughs) my brain's gonna explode you see why it took me three days yeah holy Um, shit so kenneth said he wasn't closely involved in the robbery part but he knew enough about it to share most of the plot with investigators and his story matched what investigators had already pieced together on february 10th 2006 federal agents met with marge and her attorney to officially inform them they had enough evidence to bring a murder indictment against her uh she went ballistic and threw a fit at the agents and said she would no longer answer any questions without a letter of immunity and that sure the fuck was not going to happen uh so in july 2007 the u.s attorney's office in erie called a news conference about a major development in the case and attorney mary beth buchanan announced that they officially laid charges in the collar bomber case both marge and kenneth were charged with the crime and co-conspirators i knew that word was gonna be hard (laughs) were listed uh bill rothstein though he was deceased at the time and the supposed victim brian wells who was also deceased All in all, it took four years and over a thousand interviews to finally solve this case. Um, My mouth is so dry already. (laughs) (laughs) Kenneth pled guilty in September 2008 to the conspiracy and weapons charges involved. Uh, He was sentenced to 45 years, but he agreed to testify against Marge to get his sentence reduced. Uh, Marge was declared unfit to stand trial because of her mental illness. And when she was finally deemed fit, she was diagnosed with glandular cancer and the trial was put on hold once again. Uh, I kind of liked this part a little bit. Uh, In August 2010, the doctors let the court know that Marge only had three to seven years left to live. But the prosecutors opted to continue with the trial anyways. And it was scheduled for October 2010. Um, brutal (laughs) yeah they're like no no no. she's not getting away with this no um ken shared his side of events when he took the stand he told the court that marge came up with the plan and asked the co-conspirators for their help carrying it out he claimed that brian wells joined in because he was promised a share of the pot when the robbery was complete and he needed the money um i think this is another crime yeah this is another crime so he had allegedly been seeing a prostitute who had a crack addiction and he would purchase her crack in exchange for sex and he got himself into debt with the crack dealers so brian who's the pizza man in the beginning wanted in on this because he wanted the money from the bank robbery <laughs> this group of people are fucking wild i cannot believe people like this exist in real life you, doesn't you know it sound I, fake it does and you know what i don't fucking get if you're gonna be a part of this why are you strapping a real fucking bomb mm. to your neck we're getting there we're getting okay. there okay um so Kenneth said that Brian thought the bomb was fake leading up to the day of his death and he tried to run when he realized but they tackled him and chained him to the bomb at gunpoint. Um, I also find it interesting that like in that moment Brian could have turned on all of these people and said hey these people did this to me and instead he's like a group of black guys did it because yeah. that's I guess more believable in America and slash the world. Um yeah. So, like, maybe it's not a terrible thing that the bomb went off. Uh, (laughs) Fair. That was one of those things that should have stayed in my head. Um, So, Brian's family deny all of this and still believe that he's truly a victim to this day. But multiple people involved in the case say that he's not. Yeah. um, And no one was ever charged with his murder. So, I think the court also believes that he's not a victim. Um, On October 26th, Marge took the stand. Would it be, like, suicide at that point? He technically killed himself in a way i don't know i like, like you're not wrong like oh god yeah stop like, making my brain work i think right. you're like not wrong but also like it doesn't seem right does that make sense like can you have like 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 an accidental death suicide? by crime like is that like death by i did a dumb thing yeah death by like your plan failed because you're a moron yeah <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, Marge took the stand. Uh, she was obnoxious as hell. Uh, she even like yelled at her own lawyer. Uh, she she was calling everybody a liar. Anytime they said anything, she would like start screaming. Uh, she spoke for more than five hours over the span of two days. I, I think uh, I read she got told to shut up by the judge like fifty times <laughs> over the, the course of the thing. Um, but she's, I definitely just googled her an image of her. Yeah, she's uh, yeah, yeah. The whole bunch of them are yeah. She's something. Else. <laughs> it looks like a Criminal Minds episode. That's what I'm going to say. It, it does. It actually does. <laughs> Uh, so she maintained that Bill Rothstein was the real suspect in this case. Uh, she also claimed that she had no idea who Brian Wells was, saying, quote, I never met him. I never knew him. Never. I became aware of him the day that he died. I saw it on the news. Uh, the jury didn't buy it. After 11 hours, they returned guilty verdicts on all three charges, armed bank robbery, conspiracy, and using a destructive device in a crime of violence. Uh, like I said, she wasn't charged for the death of Brian, I assume, because he was a willing participant. Marge was sentenced to life plus 30 years in 2011, and she died in prison on April 4th, 2017. Um, so almost everybody believes this case is closed, but just for funsies, a retired FBI criminal investigator named Jim Fisher disagrees. So he watched the footage live on TV and had been hooked on the case ever since he said he'd like never seen anything like that in his career and he's like mm -hmm. i have to solve this case um and he believes there's no way that marjorie could have been the collar bomber uh jim refers to the fbi profile of the collar bomber that i imagine spencer reed put together because it was from the bau uh the report reads quote it continues to be the opinion of the department that this much more than a mere bank robbery. The behavior seen in this crime was choreographed by Collar Bomber watching on the sidelines according to a written script in which he attempted to direct others to do what he wanted them to do. Because of the complex nature of this crime, the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit believes there were multiple motors, oh my gosh, multiple motives for the offender and money was not the primary one. So to sum it up, the BAU believed that the suspect didn't care about the robbery. He just wanted to watch the show of it all, Unfold. the bombing, the puzzles and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, Marjorie, however, needed the money, according to all of the witnesses who turned on her. Uh, the puzzles and clues in their story of events were just a distraction. So that's hmm. why he doesn't think it's Marge, because it, if it was a bank robbery, she would have gone in there and do it herself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so continuing the FBI's profile, they described the suspect as, quote, comfortable around a wide variety of power tools and shop machines. He was a frugal person who saved scraps of sundry ma materials in order to reuse them in various projects. And he was the type of person who takes pride in building a variety of things. Jim thinks this sounds a lot more like Bill Rothstein than Marjorie. He was a handyman. Uh, he also thinks that some of Bill's actions leading up to Marjorie's arrests were more of his games in this whole puzzle thing. So in Jim's version of events, sorry, I scrolled too far. Bill had been playing with the investigators the whole time. Uh, so he sent them on the scavenger hunt to throw them off his trail and waste time. He called 911 on Marjorie to frame her, well, not like frame her, but like expose her as a murderer. So mm -hmm. it looks more believable that she was the collar bomber. Um, from the wire.com article again, because they're better at words than I am quote, he implicated Marjorie in the Roden case before she could rat him out all while pleading ignorance on the collar bomb affair. He also gave the impression that he was a man with nothing to hide. After all, why would someone who was involved in the plot voluntarily call the cops and meet with them for hours? Rothstein continued to deny any knowledge of the collar bomb bomb plot on his deathbed even though he seemingly had no more reason to hide until his dying day rothstein was in, in insultating himself or in fisher's words quote controlling the narrative he recruited co-conspirators he knew he could control and kept crucial details of the plot from them a tactic designed to further complicate the investigation so jim fisher believes that bill wanted the notoriety of seeing his master plan on the news across the world and that he took all of his secrets to the grave with him um That's so i actually up. kind of believe it yeah it makes sense like, I think he was the one, like, like, he maybe fed Marge the idea of a bank robbery. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, he was the one the whole time being, like, wah-ha-ha-ha in the background. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think everybody involved is kind of a shitty person and definitely a and criminal. It makes, it makes kind of sense because if, 
the person that planned this whole thing, I feel like they just want to be in control of everything. Yeah. So it makes more sense that he would call the cops because he wants to be in control of all of it. He's controlling his narrative because he's mm-hmm. the guy who was so desperate to get this guilt of this body out of his house that he called 911 and he told them everything he knew. So why wouldn't they trust him? And yeah, it's very, I keep saying criminal minds, but it's very criminal minds. I think that I, I believe Jim Fisher's correct, to be honest. I yeah. think they fucked up a little bit. I think um, they did too. Either the, way. But. The thing that I thought of was that, so Marjorie was Bill's ex-girlfriend. I genuinely think this was like a whole plot to get back at her for a breakup that happened in the 60s, to be honest. That could actually, yeah. Because he died a free man and she died in prison. Hmm. And it makes sense. Yeah, that's my theory. I, I like it. <laughs> that one that case is so fucked the i don't want i hate saying my favorite thing but like my favorite thing about the case is that you know you think that this like bomb going off is like the the beginning of this narrative but it goes like that was the end essentially yeah Yeah. that's insane you think it's one crime and then you keep going and you're like hold on hold on what like and like imagine i don't think they would be anywhere if that if brian didn't call bill yeah or bill sorry yeah there's too many bees he i think he wanted to push the investigators in a direction away from him because i think if they let the investigators do it without him calling 911 i think it would have eventually traced back to him so that's why he's like if i call 911 and tell them about this body and that it's my ex-girlfriend's current boyfriend and all this stuff then they're gonna start looking at her and they're gonna start looking at everyone else and they're not gonna look at me anymore yeah because she pro- so she killed him and was like i don't know what to do and, and he's like, called him and he's like plan. <laughs> yeah put him in my freezer yeah it's fine but yeah that's hands down the most fucked up case i've ever heard in my life i say that a lot but this one no, this like, one takes the cake that's um, i don't know case. if the netflix doc is still up but if it is i highly recommend it because they go way more into depth than this and it's bananas it is this shit is bananas how long did that take me not bad not bad like half an hour okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was very hard i was trying to like speed it up but then i kept stuttering and oh my god (laughs) life just happens man um okay so i have nothing spooky for you today i just have a really fucked up story what yeah so we're gonna talk about the mysterious death of gloria ramirez so on february 19th 1994 gloria was rushed to the emergency department at riverside oh fuck i already screwed up uh, <laughs> what a script i moved my script away <laughs> um the emergency department at riverside general hospital in riverside california so gloria was suffering from really bad heart palpations but um, was also in very late stages of cervical cancer. Uh, She was rushed to the emergency by ambulance. At the time, she was very out of it and confused. Um, She had tachycardia, so her heart was beating too fast. And she had what is called, um, I think it's Cheyenne strokes respiration. So it's like very deep um, and like fast breathing. So you're taking like, basically you can't fucking breathe. Um, It sounds like... I don't want to say it sounds like a panic attack, but it sounds like what you think a panic attack is doing yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, so when Gloria arrived at the hospital, staff were quick to aid her. Um, apparently, they gave her diazepam, um, mitazole, and lorazepam to try and slow her heart rate and breathing back to like a normal rate and also just trying to like sedate her. Yeah. Because at that point, she's like not being able to breathe. Um, but nothing was working. So Gloria went into cardiac arrest at one point and they had to um like shock her, use the defibrillator. Wow. Um and according to reports, um when they were doing this, um and also like doing like their their stuff, they noticed an oily type substance covering her body. Um so you know when like oil leaks into the water? Yeah. It's like, like the, that. That like, like that color, the like Yeah, and that's like a jelly substance. Yeah. It's like it's weird looking. Um, staff also said they started to smell and I quote a fruity garlicky odor that was Ew. coming from Gloria's mouth. Like imagine just like aiding somebody and be like, wow, they smell like fruity garlic. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like that would be the from? last thing in my mind, but okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. So she smells like fruity garlic. 
Um, so Susan Kane was one of the RNs tra- um, like treating Gloria. Um, and they do like a r- routine blood when you get to the hospital. So she was taking blood from her. Um, and she said she smelled like a pneumonia-like smell coming from the tube. Um, oh. Yeah, once she was able to get the blood drawn, she passed it over to medical resident Julie um, Gorshkinowski. Gorsh- <laughs> sounds right (laughs) sounds right um so julie noticed there was like a manila colored crystal floating in gloria's blood um this was also yeah this was also confirmed by by, um physician dr humberto ochoa so two doctors said they saw this um so right after this susan started to not feel well and fainted in the room Uh, so she was moved out and then after julie so that med student also started not to feel well uh, she left the room saying she was lightheaded but by the time she got to the nurse's desk she fainted um then there was a respiratory therapist um she was also in the room and she fainted oh wow yeah by this point staff were dropping like flies some staff were fainting while others were having convulsions difficulty breathing and also vomiting it was yeah it was reported that a total of 23 staff members developed at least one symptom um out of like 37 members that were there that night five of those staff members ended up being hospitalized what the fuck what do you even do in that situation we'll get to it it's really weird uh so gloria arrived at the hospital at night around 8 15 by 8 30 the hospital evacuated the emergency room pushing patients into the parking lot um all workers removed their clothes in fear of a toxic chemical so everybody's just naked in the parking lot basically well the patients are the staff had to like change all their clothes but everyone's just chilling in the fucking parking lot right now um, they didn't they didn't move Gloria, the person that like is having all of these problems. They're like, let's move the whole fucking emergency remote. Um, at eight fifty after C <laughs> yeah, after CPR and defibrillation, uh, Gloria Ramirez was pronounced dead. Her body was moved into an isolation room. Sally um, Balderas, who was a nurse, she moved Gloria's body into this room and right after she started vomiting and she said her skin was like burning. What the fuck? Yeah. Around 11 p.m. is when, like, the hazmat suit team came. I don't know what they're called. I'm we got a 2319. 23 <laughs> That's what I picture every time. Yeah. So they showed up in full gear and started testing the air for toxic chemicals, and apparently nothing was found. Really? Yeah. A week later, an autopsy was done on Gloria. Everyone was in a hazmat suit, and her body was in an airtight examining room. Um, there were tests on her blood, her, her tissue, and even the air from, like, the body bag, but nothing came back from it they're like we don't notice anything toxic yeah her death was ruled kidney failure caused by her cancer um but they at this moment had no idea why everyone got sick so the county health department put in an investigation and it was done by two scientists dr um anna maria ozoro and Kristen waller so they're from the california department of health and human services they interviewed all 34 staff members and had them fill out a survey and they ended up determining it was just mass hysteria that caused Mm. this yeah so one person felt ill so the others felt it and just created like a snowball effect they said there was nothing found in the autopsy like toxic wise the air wasn't found to be toxic in like the hospital and no emt from the ambulance that were treating gloria had symptoms so they weren't affected at all so therefore mass hysteria they said the strange odor the staff smelt that like fruity fruity garlicky smell that's what set off the hysteria and then it just like a catalyst effect after that yeah, I have a I hard don't, time I don't with that with because, it. like, you see so much shit working in a hospital. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's if a uh, it's very hard smell... to phase a health worker. Yeah, yeah. Like, my sister's so funny. She'll come over and like see River, and River's teething right now. He's getting a tooth, so his drool is like insane. Yeah, and she hates it. She's like, "This is the grossest thing watching him drool." And she's like, "But like, I can like clean out a wound, no problem. But baby drool, no." <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny so weird um so julie that med student um fully denied mass hysteria Uh, she said she spent two weeks in the icu with breathing issues after this she also got hepatitis so like her liver was inflamed and an avascular necrosis in her knees which means like her bone tissue and her knees died wow Um, yeah sally the nurse who moved the body also spent 10 days in the hospital for breathing issues julie actually sued the coroner's office and the hospital for six million dollars basically saying their mass hysteria yes bitch yeah did she win I don't know about that one, but there was another lawsuit that I do know. I hope um, she did. 
Yeah. So Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, I believe this happened like a a year or two after, but I'm not quite sure on the dates, but they ended up doing, um, uh, they decided to look into the case. Uh, They think that Gloria may have been using a DMSO gel as a pain remedy for her cancer. So it's a topical gel cream that has a garlic smell to it, um, but it would also explain like that oil texture on her body that they saw. So they theorized this because dimethyl sulfone uh, was found in her blood samples during the autopsy, and DMSO is one oxygen atom away from being that dimethyl sulfone. So their theory, so they ran a test. Can I just um, say that you were absolutely killing these pronunciations? I could never. Thank you. I'm, they're probably <laughs> wrong, but here they we sound are. so right. <laughs> uh, so this company ran a test. We can ask at, Carl. Yeah, you know, he's going to make fun of me. Let's not ask Carl. <laughs> Um, so the company ran some tests and added in oxygen to the um, uh, to the dimethyl sulfone, so the same oxygen that would have been given to Gloria through an oxygen mask uh-huh. at the hospital. During the test, adding that oxygen actually caused an overabundance of the sulfone, causing it to crystallize, which would explain the manila the crystal crystals in, her blood thing. in the blood. Yeah. However. The thing is, the dimethyl sulfone isn't toxic and doesn't cause harm. So they're like, hmm, that's weird. That's why they're like, why is it in her body? Um, So Livermore Labs went even further to say that because Gloria was being like shocked by the defib machine, that could have caused the dimethyl sulfone to break down and combine with normal sulfate found in the body. It would have made, then with that combination, it would have made dimethyl sulfate which is a toxic chemical that causes paralysis, delirium, convulsions, and damages your heart, liver, and kidneys. Yeah. So this theory makes sense. However, there's a lot of science people out there that say that this is like literally impossible. Like the breakdown of that would not be caused by like being shocked. Yeah. They say it's literally impossible, like one in like a bajillion. Um, Livermore Lab also said they didn't run any tests for that breakdown. They only did like adding in the oxygen. Um, so they didn't run any tests for this breakdown. So it's literally just a theory by them. Mm-hmm. Um, even the guy who like owns this place said it was just a theory, but it is a crazy fucking theory if that was it. Because she technically did die of kidney failure. Yeah. And if that bro- that if that broke down to make that sulfate, would it, it would be in her body. No, it would be in her body and yeah. cause her kidneys to fail. Oh. Oh. And it would cause like a toxic. Like, if her blood is now toxic, these people get sick. She's like a, a human poison bomb. Bomb, basically. Wow. Yeah. So, there's another theory. So, now Gloria's family said all these theories surrounding... Um, they She's, like, in the news and stuff, she was deemed, like, the toxic lady. Mm-hmm. So, basically, she went toxic and made a bunch of people sick and died. Um, they're all bullshit. And they have their own theory. Which I am actually leaning towards this theory. It makes sense to me. They say that the incident at the hospital and Gloria's death was actually a cover-up from the hospital and that the hazardous conditions were already there. That they were trying to blame Gloria for some type of error on the medical staff's part. Yeah. Which is interesting because three years before Gloria's death, two staff members of this hospital were treated for being exposed to poisonous gas at the hospital. Then in 1993, so a year prior, sewer gas was found in the emergency room during a routine inspection. Wow. Yeah. So after the first autopsy was done on Gloria, Dan Capito, who was a deputy coroner, said that Gloria did, like, not die of, like, natural causes. Like, she didn't, like, so in this case, because she has cancer, the kid the kidney failure would be con- considered, like, a natural cause. Yeah. Because of her her. St- her body's state that's my understanding of it um so but he's saying that she didn't actually die of these natural causes but when the county came out and said she died of kidney failure because of her cancer this dan guy was like oh lol gloria actually did die of natural causes so he completely like went 180 and changed, changed the story. story yeah this is so um, fishy yeah and but he works for that the deputy coroner so he's involved in it so now what else is weird is that the first investigator from the coroner's office was Stephanie Albright, and she actually committed suicide one month into the investigation. She said she was under a lot of, sh- like, pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Magically. That's it. That she was just, her death was just ruled a suicide. There's so many fucking little twists in this. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know what else is fucking weird? So that syringe that had Gloria's blood in it with yeah. the weird particles, accidentally thrown away. No. Doesn't exist. Not there. Accidentally thrown away. Of but course. They, but they had enough time to get everyone in the parking lot and get their clothes changed. But that but blood that has weird particles in it, throw it away. What? What? Not suspicious. Not suspicious at all. So the Ramirez family filed a a malpractice and wrongful death lawsuit against Riverside County. I believe they ended up settling. Um, It's not disclosed on what they settled on, but it was settled. And again, what happened with Julie's $6 million lawsuit? No idea. I think it might still be a thing. Might still be here, but so long ago. But I just think it was a cover-up. I think the hospital fucked up. (laughs) That's believable, but... Yeah, also the, wow. Like, imagine, and that, just, like, think that you're using this cream to help your pain from your t- cancer treatments, and then you go into a hospital, and because you're getting oxygen in you, it creates the the particles yeah. in your body, it adds to it, and then you it ends up breaking down, causing a toxic chemical that gets That's everyone why sick they ask and you- kills you. That's why they ask you, like, a list of, like, med- meds you're currently on and everything. Cause, yeah. Like, but, like, would you have even... Th- I mean, she couldn't even speak at the time, I'm sure. But, like, yeah. even a family member or something, they would list every medication under the book. Would you yeah. list her garlic cream? Probably not. Probably <laughs> not. Because, like, you wouldn't think anything of it. Wow. Yeah. It's what a fucking crazy. What a fucking puzzling mystery. Like, the, <laughs> to this day, it's, like, her death is technically ruled kidney failure from cancer. But it's technically unsolved because they really have no idea what the fuck happened. That's so weird. I don't think it's mass hysteria at all because, oh, no, like I, I said, like they have guts of steel in hospitals. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that there was four or five um, staff members that got hospitalized, and Julie ended up having like her kneecaps having to be replaced. Yeah, and that's shit. like gross. I mean, sad. <laughs> like, it just. Like, why would someone make that up? Why? How How would mass hysteria cause all of that? It wouldn't. I could see the cover-up th- theory being a thing. Yeah. Wow, this was fucked. What an episode. Right? What a fucked up episode. Both of us were just like, let's break each other's brains. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Our already broken brains. <laughs> we don't need them. We just need our one brain cell. We're fine. We actually share one brain cell. It's half a brain cell each. That's what I've yep. been saying. That's exactly what is happening our one single brain cell Uh, yeah that was that was fucked her poor family too though like right they it's really sad because i think um i believe it was her sister she was just like if she wasn't taken to that hospital she could have lived longer yeah you don't know what could have happened yeah wow i don't know if anyone hears my baby in the background i thought i heard a sound but i wasn't sure (laughs) good morning river (laughs) yeah he's just like He's talking now. We're trying to get him to say mom. He's not doing it. He's just babbling. Yeah, he just babbles. And he mo- he mocks I love you. It's really cute. He Aww. says, he sa- it sounds like he's saying it. I'm like, that's cute. Then he just like, like when a dog does it. <laughs> yeah. You know what's actually really creepy? Because like, I was like, you know, like the grudge sound? Like oh, the, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you sent me a video. <laughs> yeah. I, I did that to him a couple times. And then now he won't stop doing it. So my mom was over last week and she was putting him to sleep. And the room is like pitch black, putting him down for his nap. And he just starts going, uh. <laughs> and my mom was like, what the fuck? Is he ever your kid, eh? <laughs> right? But yeah, if you want to come talk about these crazy fucking cases, uh, you can find us on Instagram, Spooky Hour Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Spooky Hour. And our email is the Spooky Hour Podcast, 666 at gmail.com. But come talk about this Brian Wells case because I'm still like, like my mouth is open. I'm like drooling because I can't understand it. <laughs> I don't think my mouth closed at all the entire time yeah. you were talking. Like my jaw hurts a little like, bit share your theories with us on both of these cases today because i think we did a fucking good job today that's all i'm saying we did considering the week we both had i think we did good right Um, the coffee i just chugged (laughs) (laughs) do you also on like hyper speed right now i'm Um, sweating like my armpits like are you really that's so funny uh send us your spooky tales also guys because we'd love to drop another one i know that like it took us a year or more to drop the the last one but we're trying not to do that and in order not to do that 
we need more that, stories. That's one of my um, New Year's resolutions is to make this podcast my one of my priorities. <laughs> Your number one great. priority. Just put the kid in a room. He's fine. No, he's kidding. fine. <laughs> he can entertain himself with his little grudge noises. <laughs> his little grudge noises. <laughs> I like that, though. I think I'll make that one of mine, too, because I feel like we've got room to grow. You know, we've got things yeah. we could do. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys it. will be along for the ride. And that's it. Mm. That's Stay spooky. Stay spooky, friends. Bye. Bye.